UMass hosted two games against Vermont over the weekend and was only able to come away with a split. We're recapping everything that happened and discussing where we think the team stands before a big series against Providence. Let's go. Trevino shoots, he scores! McCart, one time, and Bollinger fires, he shoots, he scores! UMass does it again! Watch out! Watch out! UMass are national champions! High character. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 98 of High Character. UMass just had a series with Vermont, both games at the Mullen Center. And an interesting result. They take the first game four to one. They get blown out in the second game six to two. Um, lot to talk about from these couple games. We're going to talk about if maybe we're, if we're pressing the panic button. Maybe not. Who knows? We'll we'll go through all that in in due time here in this episode. But my name is Cameron. I am once again joined by my good pal Evan. Evan, how's it going, man? I've I've calmed down a little bit from uh from the second game. I think I was feeling a little bit crappy after the second game, admittedly. We'll we'll get into the details of what happened over this weekend, but I felt a little bad after after game two. But you know, I put on the sad playlist in the car. I belted out some tunes for two hours on the way home. Feeling a little bit better. I'm a little bit more clear minded and I'm definitely ready to to get into this series because I think there were some positives and there were some definitely some negatives to take away from the series. And I think we're going to grow from a team or like from a team perspective because of it. So definitely ready to to get into it with you, Cam, tonight. Yeah. And if you guys remember last episode, our preview for this Vermont series, there were some comments from uh, the UMass locker room about not taking Northeastern seriously as an opponent. We talked about that and we said, hey, if you're going to if you're going to be doing that, you better come out and get at least five points mm-hmm. against a team like Vermont and get those Hockey East points and kind of build your resume there. They didn't do that. Um, no. Didn't look great in a lot of ways in game two. Uh, part of game one didn't look great either. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure where your panic level is right now. I personally have not enjoyed how we've looked for long stretches over the last three games. I'm not sure if it's a big time panic moment yet. We'll we'll see in due course with the season. But I'm not feeling great right now. If I'm being honest, I. That's how I felt at the end of game two, realistically, Cam. I've I've calmed down a little bit. I've thought a bit more, you know, over the course of the past, you know, kind of day. I guess we're recording this on Sunday night. Obviously, Saturday night wasn't great. I I'm not I'm not really in a big panic mode. Like you look at the overall big picture of the season, we're six three and one, dude. That's way better than we expected at this point in the season. If we look back to our whole, you know, preseason kind of overall schedule preview. We were expecting to be what, maybe 500 if we're lucky. We're way above that right now, dude. Like, I don't want to sound like this, you know, crazy, you know, hopeful, you know, crazy guy right now, but realistically, we're overperforming. You know, I feel like over the course of any season, if you look at any team across any conference, just overall in the in the in the context of uh, you know NCAA hockey in general, you're gonna look at teams that are gonna have bad losses. It's gonna happen. You know, no team is perfect. No team is going to play out of their mind every single night, game in, game out. Things are going to happen. I think we got a pretty solid win in the first game. Didn't look pretty in the second period. We'll talk about the details of that, you know, over the course of this episode. Second, you know, second game, we got blown out. Simple as that. Things happen. You know, this this Vermont team, we were teasing it over the course of, you know, the last couple episodes. They're sneaky good. You know, they're going to take advantage of teams. They're very opportunistic. They're a solid team. 
That's exactly what they did. I don't think that anything that happened on you know Saturday night was a shock to anybody. These things are completely able to happen in Hockey East. The entirety of Hockey East is a very, very good conference right now. I don't think any any team is, you know, worse than 30th in the pairwise right now. I don't think. I mean, you might have to fact check me on that one, but I'm going purely off of vibes. I think UConn is as of right now. Yeah, I think UConn's pretty ass right now. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, in in the terms of every, you know, high character episode, we're gonna have one stray being caught. It's gonna be UConn right now. But other than that, I don't think many teams are, you know, that bad in the overall, you know, context of the entirety of the NCAA landscape. So things are going to happen. I don't think that we're going to be, you know, slamming the panic button, the button, and we're not, you know, completely concerned right now. I think we'll be okay in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, well, let's let's get into it. We'll kind of explain yeah. where our thought process is coming from. So for sure, game one lineups, nothing crazy. Basically, everything that we've seen up until this point. No major major switches in the lines. The one big difference was Cole Brady started this game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we had theorized that he would play at least one of these games against Vermont just to keep him fresh. We know with the World Juniors that Michael Harabal is not going to be able to play every game. So got to keep Cole Brady fresh when you can. And he gets the start, which is pretty notable given how much Harabal has started this early in the season. Yeah, and I mean, realistically, that's not the worst thing in the world, right? Like, we, we kind of theorized that that could definitely happen. I mean... I personally, I'm, I'm a supporter of Cole Brady. You know what I mean? Like we've heard, you know, me and you, we've heard some group chat, you know, chatter. We've heard just thoughts from, you know, overall, you know, people in the, the UMass Twitter landscape, as we so often call it. They're, they're not a huge fan of, of Cole Brady. You know, everybody kind of saw Rabble's hot start and they said, he's going to turn the corner and never look back. You know, we don't even want to see the, the, even the, the overall thought of Cole Brady hopping back into the lineup. I, I completely disagree. You know, I think in order for you to be a very, very good team throughout the course of an entire hockey East regular season, you need two starting, you know, two two really, really good starting goaltenders. We, we've seen that through the course of, you know, past seasons. You have the likes of Matt Murray. You have the likes of Philip Lindbergh. That's, a, that's an elite goalie tandem. I'm not saying that, you know, Crabble and Cole Brady are an elite goaltending can, tandem. We don't know yet. We're still pretty early in the season, but – in order for you to, you know, keep, you know, your number one quote unquote goalie fresh, you got to have a solid backup behind him to be able to take the reins when needed. And I think Cole Brady could be that guy. You know, I've always kind of thought that. I thought he showed very, very good flashes last season. I think he's played pretty decent so far this season. You know, before before this weekend's games, he had a very strong showing against AIC. He led in, I think it was three goals. I think it was a 5-3 win off the top of my head. He ended up facing 30-something shots, and a lot of them were very, very high danger chances. So I think he dealt with that very well. He got lit up against Michigan. I get that. These things happen. It's a freaking really solid Michigan team. They're like top 10 in the nation right now. It's going to happen. I don't think the team in front of him was playing that well either. He comes back in this first game, and spoiler, I think he played really, really well. You know, I I really don't want to hear much Cole Brady slander going forward. I really think that he is a – Perfectly serviceable, you know, backup to borderline, you know, one B starting tender in 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 hockey's play. I really think he has that in him. Yeah. So obviously he got the start here. Um, and as we move into this game, not a lot happening in the first period. No. There were no goals scored. However, UMass looked fantastic. They they had 16 shots in this period. A lot of really high quality chances. That was to Vermont's six shots. 
Um, they had two power play opportunities. They weren't able to convert, but they looked pretty good. Uh, this one goes into the locker room 0-0, but UMass definitely looked like they were ready to score a few goals in this period. Yeah, I mean, overall, it was a fairly dominant period. I mean, I can't think of many things off the top of my head that, like, we did, you know, overall extremely well. You know, I think there was, you know, a lot of really good puck possession. We looked really solid off the rush. It was kind of just one of those periods where you feel like you probably should have got a goal in it. You know, like, we were just playing very, very well. You you would hope that after that level of play, you would kind of end up going, you know, going in a locker room one nothing, 2 nothing up. It didn't happen, unfortunately, but I, I definitely think that it was one of those periods where, you know, you can kind of look back onto it. You can think, you know, we wore them down very well. You know, they were getting tired. You know, we were owning them in the in the offensive zone. I feel like overall we were playing really, really well, and I think that would translate into the later parts of the game. You know, we might be able to kind of gain something from that. You know, you just overall, you know, the other team's getting really tired. You can kind of wear them down in the offensive zone. You're going to eventually get goals off of the, you know, the dominant, you know, first period that you have. It didn't, it didn't immediately kind of translate into goals, but you would figure that it would translate eventually into something. So I thought we played extremely well. Yeah. And it didn't translate into the second period though. Uh, UMass did not look good in this period. I know you you were commenting on it while watching live. Just a tough watch. Vermont led in shots nine to four in this period. UMass only getting four shots in a period is not pretty great. tough. And yeah. uh, right near the end of it, uh, kind of against the uh, against the grain of play, we see Mercury and Loutenback, two guys that have been absolutely dominant lately. They get in on a two on one. Loutenback passes to Mercury, who gives it right back to him for the goal. Loutenback, I think he's probably leading the team in goals this season. He is. He um, is. And this. This top line for the Minutemen really getting it done makes it one nothing at the end of the second. Dude, this top line's nuts. I'll be honest with you. You know what I mean? I feel like Lautenbach, I'm pretty sure he's our top scoring forward so far this season. I think that was his sixth or seventh. You might want to correct me on that, but I want to say it was his sixth on the season. Absolutely nuts out of him. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it was a really solid two on one. I'm trying to look back at the overall, you know, kind of what what caused it. It looked like it was just kind of a random little, you know random neutral zone kind of just chip play in the, in the center of the ice ends up being a two on one and we convert, you know, that's, that's what good teams do is that they convert on these kind of offhanded random chances, if you will, you know, it wasn't like it was a set play or anything crazy. The puck, you know, squirts out into the offensive zone and we capitalize on it. A great two on one chance. I think Mercury has been absolutely great to start the season, almost a point per game. I want to say, He's been playing extremely well. It was a great pass across to, to uh, Lautenbach on this play, who, again, top goal scorer. If, if I were to put that on my bingo card at the start of the season, I definitely wouldn't have. You know what I mean? Like, it was definitely something that I feel like nobody expected. I really like his play, and I really thought that he was going to be a big part of this team. Not necessarily in the goal scoring column, though, but I will certainly take it. And, you know, obviously a one nothing lead. You really, really love to see that going into the, uh, the third period. Yeah, and, and Lautenbach has five goals. Just to, it was five. I thought it was six. Home. Damn it! Yeah. I he still, was, he still I does win the team, which is which is pretty nice to see. Fair enough. Uh, and against all odds, that's how UMass ends the second period up one nothing. A little close for for the opponent that you're facing, Vermont. You kind of hope, especially with the play in the first, to have a little bit bigger lead, but a little bit tense going into the third. And UMass played pretty well from here on out. Um, not getting a, a ton of crazy scoring chances. They get one about seven minutes into the period. Just looks like uh, um, Scott Morrow has the puck at the blue line. Just an absolutely unreal pass to Mercury, who's 
right down in the slot, kind of a kind of a cross crease. Uh, Mercury takes it on his backhand, a forehand to beats Carrier, makes it two nothing. A really pretty goal and a especially nice pass from Morno. I'll be honest, Cam. I feel like you're kind of underselling the period a little bit. I mean, I feel like in the first, you know, seven or so minutes of this period, we were dominating them. You know, we came back with in full force. You know, I mean, not a lot was, you know, inherently going on, but I feel like we were really just playing, you know, we were imposing our will on the other team. We had a lot of, you know, really good rush chances, a lot of really good, you know, just offensive zone possession, which is really, really important to the way that we like to play our game. And like you said, Scott Morrow, Unfreaking believable, man. Like he, over the past, I don't know. You might want to correct me on this. Maybe five games or so. I feel like he had a little bit of a of a rough start to the season, but ever since maybe the past five games or so, he's been picking up his play tremendously. Just defensively, you know, getting a stick in the passing lanes, being able to corral the puck in from the defensive zone. His breakout passes have been absolutely phenomenal. If you look at him in the offensive zone, he's finding a pinpoint pass in the offensive zone like you wouldn't believe. He genuinely looks like an NHLer right now. He was basically taking the strides that, in my opinion, we were expecting last season and we didn't you know, necessarily get. I feel like he's finally starting to make that jump, and he's, dare I say, looking like a Hobie Baker candidate. He's looking absolutely unreal so far this season, and this goal right here was just a perfect example of it. Finds Mercury on... I mean, if you could ever think of a neutral or an offensive zone breakaway, this is essentially it. You know, there wasn't anybody within 10 feet of this of, of Lucas Mercury on this play. Slots at five hole, beautiful goal right here. And that's a commanding 2-0 lead in a game where, you know, we're winning basically the first and third period, and we're not really looking back at this point. We're looking really, really good. Yeah, and, and more for Morrow. Three minutes later, Ryan Lautenbach has the puck behind the net. Little backhand pass to admittedly a really tough defensive look for Vermont. Morrow kind of skates right into the slot, takes the pass, and just just nips one home to make it 3 nothing. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is a classic case of Morrow kind of, you know, the, the classic Carvey quote, you get what you deserve. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he was playing absolutely amazingly all game. I feel like defensively monumental in the defensive zone, which is something that, Cam, me and you realistically were harping on a lot. We were mm-hmm. crapping all over this guy for the, you know, like a lot of the times, especially last season and this season. He was a turnover machine, admittedly. He didn't really look amazingly strong in the defensive zone. He cleaned all that up and he's looked unbelievable. And I think that that's been a really, really big part of our, you know, success in this season so far. You know, he's been a, a huge part of, of the way that we play in, Anytime that he steps on the ice, I'm like, all right, we're getting a zone entry here. You know, we're going to get some offensive pressure. He can basically do it by himself. Like, it's absolutely disgusting the way that he's able to kind of take over games recently. And for him to get rewarded with a nice, you know, kind of, you know, central slot goal right here, just a nice little tap in. Really, really great play. Well worked by Lautenbach again. I feel like the 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 Lautenbach, Cameron, you know, Mercury line was absolutely massive in game one. You know, and this was just another example of their overall dominance in the first game here. Yeah, and it doesn't happen to be this line uh, a little later on in the third. About three minutes left in the game, Michael Cameron's on the penalty kill, and he creates a turnover uh, all by himself in the defensive zone. He's able to skate the puck all the way down, get himself a breakaway with that flashy speed, and he puts one home shorthanded to make it 4 nothing. and all things were going minute men way this, this point in the game. 
I mean, ice cold from Cameron, realistically. Like, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about Michael Cameron here. I mean, he was <laughs> and just me? Come on. Well, I mean, yeah, we were we were selling in the stands. We were feeling good. It was funny. We were selling more in the stands than Michael Cameron was on this play. There was literally no selly on this play. He was just feeling like it was a routine play for him. And, I mean, realistically, it was. You know, he has amazing speed. And that was the highlight of this play. You know, it creates a little, you know, weird poke check turnover in the offensive or in the neutral zone. Manages to skate it by himself. Has amazing speed. I mean, let's be real, right? Michael Cameron's not the biggest guy out there on the ice. You know, he's the the power type of play. I'm not going to say the power play, but, you know, he's not really like a big power forward, right? He's going to use his speed. He's going to wiggle in between guys, and he's going to use his agility to his advantage. And he did that on this play, you know, completely. And he didn't even do kind of his, like, weird, like, you know – glide it to his forehand and you know rip it far side type of play because that's his normal kind of breakaway move he actually switched it up here and i think he went blocker side on the uh, on the far post here which shows he has a bit of versatility on the breakaway might be a new penalty shot move who knows you know we'll we'll see what how he incorporates that into his game later on but on a breakaway here he gets the goal making it what was it four nothing at this point mm-hmm. Absolutely beautiful from from Michael Cameron there. I mean, that's just a beautiful individual play here. You know, it doesn't even require any sort of teamwork. Yeah, and that that really put the game away. Vermont got a power play right after this, and they yeah. did end up scoring. Um, kind of spoiled Brady shut out there. That and sucks. It, it was of note Vermont coming into this game one for twenty six on the power play. Uh, a team you really do not want to be giving up power play goals to. They've just been. Uh, awful at it this season, and they get one here. So a little bit of a disappointment, them scoring that goal and Brady losing his shutout. But overall, pretty solid win. Uh, they played through not not playing their best hockey in the second period, not getting the bounces in the first period, and they still still able to get a comfortable win 4-1. to one. So pretty happy after this game. I mean, realistically, right? Like, And this is kind of what I've been alluding to a little bit. Like, you win two out of the three periods in a hockey game, you're looking pretty good. You know, the second period, I don't really think it was good for either team. You know, it seemed like it was it was pretty similar to the Northeastern game a little bit where there was just a lot of just neutral zone stretch passes, praying that somebody can enter the zone in a proper manner and nothing was really getting done. You know, there was a lot of sloppy play. Nobody was really connecting passes. Neither team was playing that well. So for us to dominate the first and third period the way that we did felt really good. You know, it was it was the classic, you know, what, what, what does Carvey say? You, you throw good shit on the pile, I think is yep. what he says. Like yeah. that was what we were doing in the third period. We were making very, very good plays. We were controlling the momentum. We were playing to our strengths, you know, as a really, really dominant offensive zone possession team. And I think, you know, you get what you deserve right there. A 4-1 win realistically probably could have been a 4 nothing, considering the power play. It is what it is. There was a little bit of, you know, kind of just, I want to say, you know, lack of discipline at times from the team. Yeah, I think Liam Gorman had one or two in this game, and then I think he had one or two in the other game as well. Not a great look for him, admittedly. You know, there was there was a good bit of defensive, you know, lack of discipline over the over the course of the game, and that led to you know Vermont having a couple of power plays that they unfortunately converted on. But I mean, for Cole Brady to not have an even strength goal against, that's huge for him, especially again, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, not a lot of people were believing in him. You know what I mean? Like, there's, I feel bad for the guy because like he's really, really been a very decent goaltender for us that hasn't gotten the respect that he deserves. So I want to I want to give my plaudits to Cole Brady because he's been doing his thing game in and game out regardless of, you know, what's been said about him. I doubt he gives a crap. You know what I mean? Obviously, he's probably not 
you know, listening to the fans that are on here, you know, on Twitter or Instagram or whatever the hell. But I, I definitely want to applaud him for, you know, being a level-headed guy. And, you know, he's bringing his best game in and game out. So I really do think that, uh, you know, it's not it's not a rebel's net to just run away with. You know, I think this is a very good example of another, you know, Matt Murray Lindbergh type of deal where you're going to have a 1A and a 1B that are going to be able to duke it out every single night and earn the net, you know, no matter who's going to be playing night in and night out or night out. So we'll see. Yeah, and Carvey did mention him in this post-game quote we have here. He said, nice to get a regulation win in the league, big three points. It was nice to get into the third period with the lead and extend it and play pretty good hockey. I thought Cole Brady was solid in net, but to me the difference tonight was Mercury's line. Not just Correct. that they scored, but they scored because they played so well. The other three lines need to pick it up for tomorrow night. So uh, interesting uh, calling out the bottom three lines there. Uh, going into the second game, obviously Mercury's line was phenomenal, but uh, kind of a kind of a kick in the butt there from Carvey to the other three lines. And I think it's warranted. You know, I mean, like I don't think they inherently played bad, right? But I think if you have a if you have a line that's gonna absolutely dominate the way that that Mercury line dominated, you gotta you know you gotta expect that sort of you know intensity and performance from the other lines. You know, if one line can do it. Why can't the others? You know, it's it's as simple as that. So I I, I kind of like that outlook from Carvey because it's not a case of just highlighting one line and just saying, wow, they played really, you know, really great tonight. You know, that's awesome. You want to be able to try and use that to uplift the rest of the team and play to that standard. You know, we have a standard that we expect out of our players at UMass. You got to expect that out of everybody, not just the top line. So I really I, I enjoy that overall outlook and mentality at a Carvey there. I think that's that's really beneficial for sure. Yeah, and uh, it was kind of shown his opinion when the lines came out for game two. Uh, so we'll move on to game two. Obviously, that top line that he was talking about stayed the same, but everything else kind of got shaken up. Second yep. line, it's Suniev, Lashmelis, O'Hara. Uh, they were on the same line in game one, but they get bumped up to be the second line. Third line, Musa, Connors, Van Tassel. We haven't seen those guys together. Nope. Uh, fourth line, Makar, Vanderboys, Gorman. Um, we haven't seen Taylor all the way down there in the lineup in a long time either. So um, some pretty interesting shakeups from the first game. And Michael Harabel got the net in this game. So um, giving each goalie a shot here uh, in this two-game series. Yeah, the only thing I'll add to that that you didn't mention was Tornquist swapping for uh, for Bollinger mm-hmm. on, the, on the third pairing. I mean – I'm pretty sure Bollinger was listed as the third pairing right defenseman, but realistically, he didn't see a whole lot of the ice. I feel like it was mainly Tornfist. I'm not sure if he's dealing with a nagging injury or something like that. That's just purely my speculation. I'm hoping that that's not the case, but Tornfist slotting in on that on that third, you know, pairing right D-man spot kind of just confirms what we already saw in the previous game. So I don't know if it was just kind of like a gamesmanship thing or you know trying to figure out if if Bollinger was in fact ready to play. He might have been a game time decision. But that was what we saw in that in that you know instance. But yeah, really, really weird lines overall. And I personally don't hate it. You know what I mean? I feel like we played decently in the first game. But again, like you mentioned, it was mainly the first line. So I mean, I feel like it was a good opportunity to kind of shake things up for the rest of the other three lines. And I really like the idea of putting Taylor McCarr on the fourth line. I don't know if that's a crazy take, but I like it because realistically like from a team play perspective i feel like taylor mccarr really doesn't offer that much and hear me out here i know that's kind of a crazy idea but realistically the only thing that he's really offered umass so far this season is his classic like 
I'm going to take the puck out of the defensive zone from behind the net. I'm going to skate it up full speed, enter the zone by myself, and take a shot. He doesn't really do a whole lot from a team play mindset. He's not really passing the puck. He's not really finding his teammates. He's not giving one-twos or give-and-goes or anything like that. He's doing it all himself, and it's mainly because of the fact that he's a 6'4", strong power forward that has the speed of a freaking five nine, you know, sniper, you know, it's as simple as that. So I think, you know, the, the, the ability to kind of inject that sort of energy and speed onto the fourth line is extremely dangerous. I like the idea of it, but obviously as we're going to talk out, you know, talk about throughout this game, it didn't really make the difference overall. We didn't really look that great this game. And, you know, like you said, we're, we're, we're definitely going to, you know, kind of talk through this this game as a whole because it didn't really work out in our favor but uh yeah yeah the new lines did look pretty cohesive in the first period i thought yeah UMass played well in this first period um took a while to get on the board but about 15 minutes into this game we see idar suniev uh, he's got the puck in the corner and great pass uh across the way to owen murray he was open for a one-timer i believe carrier got the blocker on it and went down off the end board, right back to the stick of Sunia with a wide open net. Pretty looking goal, and it's uh, good to see him get on the board again, creating that play by himself. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, Sunia was a guy that I thought was going to have prettier goals, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? I thought he was the type of guy that had this kind of NHL-ready shot. He was going to create goals all by himself. That's not how hockey works. You know what I mean? I'm starting to learn that over the course of the season, obviously. I mean, I knew that before, but realistically you're going to get goals from awkward angles that type of stuff's going to happen and that was exactly what happened here with suniev you know he gets kind of a weird bounce kind of i think it was like off the boards really and gabe carrier wasn't able to kind of get set back in the in the middle of his crease and suniev was able to corral the puck take it out in front and tap it in essentially you know it was it was a really really good play from a hand-eye coordination perspective I really, really liked the way that we kind of were playing up until that point. We had really, really good kind of offensive zone possession. And I, I wouldn't go as far to say as domination, but I feel like we were playing very, very well in the offensive zone. And that was a goal that, you know, we kind of deserved at that point. I feel like we were playing well enough to deserve a goal there. Yeah. And after that one, Vermont got a little bit sloppy. They took a couple penalties on the second one. UMass on the power play. We see Owen Murray again. Uh, he takes a shot from the blue line, kind of right in the middle of the ice. And right there, uh, puck bounces. Beautiful rebound for Dan Zlishmelis. He's able to clean it up and uh, got a couple of freshmen scoring the first two goals for UMass here. This one on That's the power a, play. Dude, freshman Europeans, if I may add. I mean, not to totally go, you know, yeah. like, you know – focusing in on their nationalities there, but I feel like that's kind of a, a, a different thing for this season is that we've injected a little bit of European flair into the lineup. And I feel like it's been paying dividends, you know, like Donzlo Schmelis love the kid. You know what I mean? He's had a couple of blips, you know, over the course of the season, he's a freaking freshman, dude. He's not going to be perfect. You know, it's as simple as that, but I feel like this was a play is a really, really solid hockey play. The only thing that kind of worries me a little bit overall with his game is that, he doesn't look that strong in front of the net. I've noticed, you know, maybe not necessarily on like goal scoring plays or anything like that, but just overall from what I've watched personally, he's getting bullied a little bit in front of the net. Like Carvey's kind of playing him as this power forward, you know, net front type of center, like a Lucas Mercury. He's basically trying to play him like Lucas Mercury. Kid's 5'10", like 160. He's not, he's not that guy right now. You know, he has to fill out his frame a little bit. He has to get a little bit stronger. He's not at that point in his career yet, but in this in this instance, personally, 
he absolutely killed it. He got this nice little net front tip, managed to slot it in, and that was great. But overall, I would like to see him be a little bit stronger in front of the net going forward. But that's just a random little blip that I noticed in this game personally. But overall, great goal here. It was, and Vibes were really good at this point. And unfortunately, it, it would be the last time that Vibes were good yeah. in this game for UMass. Immediately after this, Liam Gorman takes a stupid high-sticking penalty. That was his third penalty of the weekend at that point, which really isn't great. And again, UVM on the power play, almost historically bad this season. Yeah. Um, coming into the series, only one goal. They get one, they get one again here. Um, a shot kind of from uh, the top of the faceoff dot there. It looks like it's a glove save from Parable who can't control it, can't catch it clean. It bounces right to the stick of uh of Joel Mata there and they take the momentum into the uh into the intermission two to one UMass but Vermont scores of 15 seconds left that was a huge goal for them yeah I can't tell if it went off of Parable's glove or if it just straight up went wide and hit off the guy in front but Joel Mata he gets a fortuitous I think is the word bounce in front of the net literally drops directly to his skates and an easy tap in for him I mean Parable was Admittedly, nowhere near it, nor would I expect him to be near it. I mean, it was just such a freak play. Out of out of all the goals against that he ends up having in this game, this is the one I really don't pin on him that much. Like, it was a weird bounce. That type of stuff's going to happen. No defenseman is in front to try and clear it out. It is what it is. It sucks. But you're kind of thinking at this point in the game, all right, they get one back, you know what I mean, on a weird little power play, odd bounce in front of the net. They're going to tap it in. It sucks, but it is what it is, and unfortunately, it ends up kind of being the the start of a bigger comeback for uh for for Vermont. Yeah, and they came out of the gates hot to start the second period again. They had that momentum, um, and just under four minutes in, looks like they have a three on three coming into the UMass zone. Somehow, I guess they catch UMass flat footed, and uh, basically comes in on a breakaway. Jeremy Bushler, I think I think is how you say his name. He gets basically a breakaway. Doesn't isn't able to get the best move. Somebody's got the stick tapping on his behind. And honestly, what looks like a really tough look for Michael Harabble. The puck goes five hole. Um, he didn't he didn't really feel comfortable on this one, and Vermont ties the game. Yeah, I think it was Ufko that was trying to trying to tap his twig, you know, from the back there. And I mean, I don't know. It it's a weird one. You know what I mean? Like I feel like Harabble has to do a bit better there. I mean, he doesn't make much of a move at all. He's shooting the puck from basically right in front of Rabble. Like, Rabble did a great job, you know, tracking the puck, and his body's in a good position there. It's just it managed to go into one of the random holes, you know, that he kind of left open. I don't know if it was five-hole. I couldn't really tell. It looks like it's five-hole. But, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure – what is it, Buechler, Buechler, however the hell you say his last mm -hmm. name? Like, he – I think he managed to have five points in this game. I think that was like a freaking – like a Vermont – you know, historical record. Like, he was tying the record for most points by defense in the game. It was just one of those freak games for him. You know what I mean? Like, it seemed like everything was going Vermont's way at this point. Does it suck that he got in behind from our defense? Yes. Does Rabble need to do better a little bit there? Maybe. It, it just seems like a microcosm of a bunch of little tiny mess-ups that just lead to a goal against. I don't know. I mean, that one really sucks. I don't really want to pin the blame on anybody in particular. I don't know if you have any thoughts about it, but I don't know. It's just, it's one of those weird ones. I, it sucks. Yeah. I, I think it's a tough look for the defense and for, uh, Harabble. I think the defense gets caught looking a little flat footed. 
uh, a goal that I'm sure Rabel would definitely want to have back. Yeah. So, um, it's not great. And it got even worse. Minute and a half later, um, Vermont's skating in with the with the puck. Looks like even even numbers like a two on two opportunity. And Rabel's not even really screened or anything like that. They just get um, a wrister off from the top of the faceoff circle there, and it beats Rabel right under the arm. Um, a, a play that we would think he would save ten times out of ten. I'm sure he's pretty upset about yeah. this one. It was wasn't a great look, but it somehow sneaks in, and all of a sudden Vermont has the lead. Yeah, I mean this this right here, in my opinion, is a classic case of we didn't get the goaltending, and they got the goaltending just throughout the course of the game. I I think Crabble has been absolutely unbelievable so far this season. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind about that, or in anybody's mind about that. I think we can all agree on that. The kid's human. He's a freaking 18-year-old freshman goaltender who has not played in the NCAA before. Things like this are going to happen. This is the, the ideal example of a freshman goalie. Stuff's going to happen. You know, what I, I feel like people have gotten a little bit of a inflated idea of what his ability is so far this season because he's played out of his mind. I feel like we've seen a bit too much out of him, if that makes sense. You know, I feel like... Things like this are going to happen to a freshman goalie, and we have been very lucky that these things haven't happened up until this point in the season. It is what it is. You know what I mean? Like, I think this game, and this is why I think personally that I don't think this was really the worst game of all time for for, for UMass here. You know, I mean, we're going to get into a little bit more later on. I feel like we might have a little bit of a debate here, but I don't think UMass played that badly. I think this is a classic case of our goalie was not able to show up tonight and the Vermont goalie was able to show up. And this right here is a perfect example. This is the, this is the goal against the game carrier would have saved 10 times out of 10 today or, or that night. Frabble unfortunately didn't. And we just got to live with that. You know what I mean? I don't think there was anything that the defensive could have done better there. That was just a classic case of a freak puck going in, you know, every other time this season, Frabble would have made that save. And this is the one time that he didn't. I think I think we're going to see better out of him over the course of the season for sure. Yeah, and it got worse before it finished for him. Yeah. Uh, five minutes later, what looks like uh, not a, not a crazy chance for Vermont entering their zone. They're able to get a, a wrister off from almost near the blue line, all things considered, and it gets right under Rabel's arm. He gets a little piece of it. It trickles in the net. But uh, this is one that I think any team wants their goalie to make a save on. And Coach Carville felt similarly. He got, he yanked him after this one for Cole Brady. So uh, a tough end to a, a really tough night for Rebel. I mean, it's deserved, right? Like yeah. this this right here, I feel for Rebel. Realistically, I feel for him because again, it's another case of like he looked totally fine leading up to this save. He was in a decent position. He this looked like a routine save for him that he has made. You know dare I say hundreds of times this season. He probably has over a hundred saves this season, you know, for sure. He definitely does. I don't even know why I'm questioning that. He's made the save hundreds of times this season. This is the one time that he didn't, you know, it was another freak play. 99 out of a hundred times you're making the save. It's getting caught in his armpit. He's falling over on it. You blow the play dead. You're good to go. This time it didn't, you know, it's just nothing was going right for parable this game. I, it sucks. You know what? I, I don't really know what else to say. Like, you you got to feel for an 18-year-old goalie here. You know, he's 
He's he's new to the league. He's new to the team. He's new, you know, I mean, he's only been playing in America for, what, one year at this point? He played for Omaha last season. He's been playing in the Czech Republic other than that for the last freaking, you know, 17 years of his life. That type of stuff's going to happen. I mean, it, it it certainly sucks. It's it's never something that you want, you know, your goalie to do, but he just – he wasn't getting the saves that he needed here. And, and that's not to say that he doesn't have that ability. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like last season where we're like, oh, you know, Pavisic is letting that stuff in or, oh, Cole Brady's letting that stuff in or, oh, Henry Graham's letting that stuff in. This is stuff that 99 times out of 100 he's saving. It's just a blip on the radar. It just sucks that a bunch of blips added up at the exact same time and are most likely going to lead to a loss. You know, it, it sucks, but I, I don't really think that this is as bad of a, of a look as people think overall. I think he's going to bounce back from it, and he's going to be okay. Yeah, and Cole Brady looked pretty decent after this. Yeah. Um, the second period ends 4-2 to two Vermont. Vermont only had six shots this whole period, and three of them went in, so uh, pretty oh, tough look there. Um, we, we move on to the third period. UMass trying to stage a comeback. They look pretty decent. They're they're able to get a power play with six. Um, UMass trying to regroup after the puck gets cleared. Owen Murray leaves a little no look backhand to uh, two guys behind the play, and just way too nonchalant. Vermont player jumps all over the puck, gets one of the easiest breakaways you've ever seen, and just nips one past Brady to make it five to two. And I was. Not out loud. I was internally screaming after this happened. This was, I, this was tough to see. Dude, I was externally screaming. I mean, <laughs> I don't even have to, you know, hide that. Not great, right? Like, I've had my gripes with this sort of power play, set play, if you will. I don't know the best way to describe it, but, I mean, we tend to do the drop pass a lot. You know, we come up with a defenseman with a lot of speed, you know, screaming up the ice like that. He'll drop, he'll drop the puck off to somebody somebody else, and they'll take it up, you know, basically trying to beat the the neutral zone trap, if you will. I don't know the best way to describe it, but essentially what we're trying to do there. 99 times out of 100, it works again. You know what I mean? Normally, they don't read that drop. This is the one time that he did. I feel like realistically it was a bit of a lazy drop. Normally when you do a drop pass like that, you're kind of actually sending it backwards a little bit rather than just tapping it dead. And, you know, usually if you're sending it backwards to the guy who's going to be eventually picking it up, you're not allowing that, you know, opposing team defender to pick up the puck. This is the one time where it happened. Again, I don't think that we actually played that bad this game. And we can talk about this at length in a little bit, but I – this is just another one of those unfortunate plays, you know, like this has happened sometimes in the past couple, you know, in the past couple seasons, this is a type of play that we tend to run a lot. I think we got burned on this maybe two or three times over the course of the past couple seasons. Yeah. Does it suck? Of course it does. But I mean, I don't really know who to necessarily blame here. Like that's, that's a, that's a set play that we do. It's not like it's a coaching error. It's not like it's necessarily like a player error. You know what I mean? Like we run that play all the time and that doesn't happen. This is the one time that the guy had the wherewithal to freaking, you know, double check that. I think it was Bollinger who got beat on the other side of it when he was trying to pick up the drop pass. Mm -hmm. It it sucks, dude. Or no, I don't actually think it was Bollinger. I'm trying to see who it was actually. Uh number is that is that Taylor McCarr? Is that 18? I'm trying to see on the on the dead player. It looks like it might have been Taylor. But yeah, it 
it sucks. Cole Brady got beat cleanly glove side. It's a breakaway. What is he meant to do? You know, it's mm-hmm. just the best way I can put it is just it's that type of game. You know, I feel like, yeah, it is what it is. You know, I mean, when it rains, it pours. I feel like it's probably the best way to put it. I feel like just all of our mistakes were adding up exponentially in this game. Realistically, if you tighten up just the very, very minor mistakes, this is a 3-2 game, maybe a 2-2 game. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of these saves were savable. A lot of these defensive lapses were able to be cleaned up. I feel like if we play even decently, not even perfectly, if we just play to the standard that we've been playing up until this point in the season, this is a tie game. And we we have a really, really good shot to win this. Just a lot of really simple mistakes we're adding up until this point. And that's why I feel like the scoreline looks as ugly as it did. That's why I'm not personally all that that concerned about the overall scoreline of this game. Yeah, and this this put it out of reach for UMass. Oh, for uh, sure. Vermont able to get an empty net goal later on in this period. Jens Richards with a hat trick, the first Vermont hat trick since 2018. Jesus. Um, so not great there. And, yeah, UMass loses 6-2. to two. They take three out of the six points on the weekend. After we kind of said, hey, you got to get five at least in this in this series against the team that's kind of bottom of Hockey East this year. So um, obviously you're you're a little bit higher than I am right now after this one. We have a quote from Coach uh, quote from Coach Carville after this game. He said this was a flip flop of last night. I thought we came out had a good first period and got up to nothing. I like the way we were playing, and then we immediately take an undisciplined penalty in the offensive mm-hmm. zone and give them life. I feel like we could have held them off the scoreboard in the first period. Maybe they don't go into the intermission with some life. I give them credit. They played the way they should. We need some saves in the second period, and once they got a big lead, they did a really good job of defending and staying above the puck. I thought we created chances, and we could have shortened the lead, but their goaltender was obviously a lot better than ours tonight. That was a big factor. So, yeah, obviously Carrier's good play was a big factor, and maybe maybe this wasn't as as lopsided as it the score makes it seem. I mean – that couldn't be more obvious, you know what I mean? I feel like Co- like Carvey doesn't screw around in his post-game interviews, right? Like, he definitely tells it how it is, and I feel like this is a perfect example of that. Like, I wholeheartedly agree with him. I feel like it was a simple case of we didn't get the saves that we needed. We played very well. Liam Gorman took a dumb high-sticking penalty. Really sucks. Gave them life there. And... You know, Rabble, for better or for worse, for, you know, pardon my French, but he shit the bed, you know what I mean, in the second period. He didn't play well. It's as simple as that. We can move on from that, you know. It's going to happen. Not every, you know, team or goalie is going to play perfect. You're going to have games that you're going to want back a little bit, and this was a perfect example of that. And like he said, I feel like that was a huge part of the way that Vermont played. They were able to defend very well right after they took a lead, we couldn't get anything going offensively because they were plugging at the neutral zone. They were playing ultra defensively and they tried to protect the lead that they were able to get. It was a gift for them to get that lead to begin with, right? Because realistically, if we had, you know, a goalie that was on his game that night, he was going to make those saves. We didn't give them anything that was, you know, majorly high, you know, danger chances, you know, chance wise. They weren't able to get anything that were, you know, crazy cross crease three-on-one opportunity, any sort of breakaways. They weren't getting anything like that. They were getting random little tiny, you know, high-slot chances that any normal goalie would have most likely saved, in, you know, for the most part. So the fact that they got those was an absolute gift, and we really just weren't able to to get it through because they were parking the bus the whole time. They were playing ultra-defensive the whole time. We couldn't enter the zone. We couldn't maintain any sort of zone pressure. 
Is that on us a little bit? Sure. But I feel like that was mainly on Vermont's game plan because they were trying to protect the lead that they were able to get. And we were gifting them chances, you know, towards the end of the game because we started to get desperate. If we didn't have to get desperate to try and tie the game up, we wouldn't have been making the plays that we were making. and We wouldn't have made the mistakes that we were making. So, again, I, I pin this loss, no offense, purely on Harabal. I don't think this is going to be, a you know, a case for the future. I don't think this is going to be anything to panic about or worry about. But, you know, you got you to gotta pin it on one guy, and that's, that's the way that it has to go because I don't think that it was really, you know, the team as a whole that you have to blame there. I feel like it was on one dude. Yeah, I'd say there's three goals that Harabal would really want back. I'd say two of the two others that weren't the empty net uh, were defensive breakdowns, defensive lapses. So maybe this maybe this game goes to overtime if Harabal is at the top of his game like he normally is. I I think my concern over the last two weeks is how this team, at least from my perspective, seems to almost shut down offensively. They play two teams who look like they're going to finish at the bottom of Hockey East this season, Northeastern and two against Vermont. And there were long, long stretches of these three games where UMass could not figure out anything on the offensive side of the puck. It was a treat just to get a dump and chase in the into the opponent's zone. I'm a little concerned with with that side of the puck over these last games. You get two teams that aren't great. They're not supposed to be great. Um, you really wanted to take advantage here and – uh, the offense kind of went silent at points, so I'm not I'm not really sure what that can be attributed to, but that's the one thing for me that I'm a little worried about. If I had to give my best guess, because I, mean, I feel like you're kind of inviting me to to speculate a little bit here, I th- I think, and this is going to sound a little bad. Bear with me. I think it's just a lack of overall skill from our team. Now, hear me out. I know that sounds a little harsh, but this team, in my opinion, is very dependent on team-oriented passing. That's how a lot of our goals are scored. It's not necessarily, you know, barring maybe three or so players on our team that are able to kind of just make everything happen by themselves. I'll, I'll name some names. We'll go We'll go. Scott Morrow. He basically could have a guy draped on his back, and he can just shrug him off like it's nothing. It doesn't even matter if he's trying to play defense on him. Scott Morrow can just do it all by himself. You have a guy like maybe Taylor McCarr, he, once he gets a full head of steam going forward, he's going to try his best to basically just, you know, get a shot on net in the in the offensive zone. He's just going to take it by himself. He has that in him. And then maybe like a Michael Cameron, he can kind of do it by himself, or maybe even like an Adar, or an Adar Suniev. Like he can kind of, you know, shield the puck, get a shot on net or do something like that where it looks, you know, semi-dangerous. Other than that, we're relying on power play abilities where we have kind of, you know, open space to exploit in the offensive zone or we have individual, you know, speed and skill that we can just make a play happen all by itself, you know, from some of our massive playmakers. Other than that, we're scoring our goals from, you know, cross-creek passes or, you know, like just, you know, skating it into the offensive zone by ourselves and trying to snipe one off the rush. We really don't have, like, an overall sense of just, like, everybody on our team is extremely dangerous. Like, no offense to guys like Ryan Lautenbach or Lucas Mercury. They're not making plays happen by themselves. They rely on each other. You know, they 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 rely on cross-crease passes. They rely on turnovers in the offensive zone to get two-on-ones. They're not just going to get the puck up by themselves and make a play happen. That's not their game. And I respect that. That's not an issue. But it, it's an issue when 
nobody else on your team can really do something like that for the most part. We have a couple of guys that are able to make plays out of thin air. I feel like you need that sort of high-level skill when players are going to kind of defend and play that low block like that and just basically park the bus and be able to defend with their lives because if they're able to play like that, they're going to shut down those passing lanes. They're going to shut down those shooting lanes. You know, we need to have guys that have quick releases and can do things all by themselves in order to break that down. And barring a couple of guys, like I said, I don't think we really have that. So it's a little bit concerning going forward, but in, in a lot of other scenarios when we're, you know, I think the key for this team is getting an early lead and then forcing the other team to kind of play a bit more offensively and a bit more loose so they can't just defend back the whole time because one of our main offensive strengths is exploiting weaknesses in the defense. If they're not showing any sort of weaknesses in the defense, we won't be able to exploit them. So I don't know. It's just something that I've personally noticed. I don't know if you agree. I don't know if you disagree, but that's something that I've personally noticed. Yeah, I do agree with you. I think the the thing that I've been noticing most these last three games specifically is the lack of inconsistency. I mean, there it was either hot or cold, I think, for, for these three games. UMass either playing the type of hockey that they did when they uh, got like 40-plus shots against BU. It's either that kind of offensive firepower where every shot is right on the money or just, just nothing. I feel like there was no in-between in these last three games. And that lack of consistency – Obviously, it can come from a, a young team, but just to see it in these three games against these opponents was a little bit worrisome to me, and I'd like to see a little bit more consistency going forward. Yeah, and I mean, and, and to, to play off that point, right, like consistency is a really good point that you bring up, and I'm personally not worried about that because I still think at, the, at our core, we're a young team. You know, if we want to talk about offensive consistency, some of our best players dude, are freaking freshmen. You know what I mean? Some of our best players are still juniors. They still got another year to grow. You know, like Mercury, assuming he stays around next year, he's going to be a senior and he's going to be freaking dominant. Ryan Lautenbach's going to be amazing next year if he's if he manages to stick around and he's going to be playing very, very well. Guys like Gonzalo Smelis, Idar Suniev, they're going to get another year stronger and another year better. Like, yeah, we're going to have a little bit of offensive consistency, but that's because our team and our playmakers, you know, I named two out of our four playmakers right there and Gonzalo Smelis and freaking – Iresuniev, they're going to get one year better, and they're going to get one year more consistent. Like, you know, that's that's just the reality of it. Like, we have so much, you know, talent on this team that's frankly just unrealized so far. You know, we've seen some of it, and that's not even just on the offensive end. You know, like, Tornquist had a couple of really good moments last, you know, over this series. I feel like he had a couple blunders, a couple defensive lapses, but I feel like overall he played pretty damn decent for, for being a freshman defenseman who's – frankly, not that big either. So for mm -hmm. him to have some, you know, some decently solid plays is very great. Crabble, you know, barring this weekend over the past, you know, what is it, you know, five or six weeks that we've been freaking watching this team so far, he's been monumental. You know, like the consistency's not going to be there. And we saw that this weekend. You know, Crabble's going to be really, really good over the course of his career. He's going to have a couple blips, especially early on. That's going to happen. We're going to have growing pains with this team. Like, that's going to happen basically with any team. But I feel like so far, this team has put it together way better than anybody has expected so far this team, you know, or so far this season. Like, if we look back to our to our preseason, you know, season preview, there's no way in hell me and you would have been looking at our schedule and say, yeah, no, we'd be 6-3-1 we'd be at this point in the season. There's no way in hell, you know, like I, I don't understand how we can really be 
upset with how we've done so far. Was game two of this Vermont series bad? Yeah, wasn't great, but we're going to move on from it. You know what I mean? Like, just, just overall with the fact that how we've played so far this season, I feel like this is semi-excusable. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking out of my ass here. Maybe I'm crazy, but that's just how I'm looking at the season as a whole. Yeah, I'm not going to jump out on a limb until after this upcoming series against Providence. I'm not going to make any rash opinions after those games next weekend. Uh, I think I think the stretch of hockey after that is going to be pretty telling. Harvard, Vermont for one, and then Alaska Anchorage for two at home before yep. the Christmas break. So um, I'm not going to put a ton of stock into the Providence games unless we play really well. Yep. Uh, it's it's what's after that that I think is going to kind of tell the story of what what team we got this year. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, we're we're obviously going to look out look over to the uh, to the mm-hmm. Providence preview later on in this episode. But I feel like we're probably getting to the point where we could talk about some awards for the for this upcoming series or for this previous series, I should say. Yeah, let's jump into the awards. So let's get it. First one we like to do is CCC Carvel's character and compete, basically the player of this series. And we, I don't think we've ever done this before. Maybe we did back in the in the Bobby Trevino days. Oh yeah, hundred percent. We're we're doubling up. Um, we try not to do this. We try to spread the love as much as we can, but we got to give it to Scott Morrow again. He has just been an absolute menace out on the ice over the last few weeks. We're really hard on him, especially last season with yep. the defensive mistakes, and uh, that's kind of prevented him from winning CCC a lot of the time last year, just because. We know he could do so much offensively, but the defense was kind of kind of taking his game down a step. He's been great defensively too over the last few games. He's been a joy to watch. Um, absolutely phenomenal. Out of um, all the guys uh, that played this weekend, he was the guy that made the least amount of mistakes. He had three points on the weekend, a goal and two assists. So really, really solid play at Amoro, and it's a genuine delight to watch him lately. He's been damn good. No, no doubt about that. I mean. Like you said, we've been we've been a bit harsh on him, you know what I mean? And I feel like partially it's been it's been a little bit deserved at, at, at times, you know, definitely, you know, last season and then maybe a little bit in early parts this season, but over the past, I don't know, you might want to correct me on this, maybe five or six games, mm-hmm. I feel like he's looked extremely good, you know, yeah. just very good on both sides of the puck. And that's been kind of the key issue that we've had with him is mainly on the defensive side of the puck. He's looked basically every game very good offensively. We've known that that's his game. He's an offensive-minded defenseman, and that's totally fine, right? But defensively, I feel like he's very much stepped up his game just as a whole. He looks like a very complete defenseman. Dare I say, maybe one of the best in Hockey East right now. Maybe Hobie Baker candidate level? I don't know. But I feel like he's looked, you know, Effortless when it comes to breakout passes and neutral zone passes, just finding the open man. His his passes are very receivable, if that makes any sense. Like it seems like any time that he passes the puck, a player's getting their stick on it and they're gonna be able to corral it with ease. Like I don't know if it's like the amount of spin that he puts on the puck. I don't know what the hell he does, but anytime that he passes the puck, it doesn't bounce off the boards, it doesn't like fly off the other person's stick. It's very calm and receivable, and it's very, very good. He's he's looked unbelievable. I mean, the, the goal that he scored was was kind of a gimme goal, if I'll be honest. I mean, mid slot, just easy little tuck like that. It's it's a pretty easy goal to score. But his assists and his overall just play as a whole that doesn't even show up on the score sheet 
has been extremely solid. And I feel like we need to applaud that because again, like you said, for all the times that we kind of roast him and kind of crap on him a little bit, we got to give him his props when it's due. And I feel like this is a perfect opportunity to do so. Yeah. So that's, that's back to back weeks of him winning it. And I think it's been very well deserved for sure. All right. So the next award we give out is the good try award. Uh, basically the guy who we think can improve the next game. Uh, didn't, didn't put out the best effort. And I think we can keep this one pretty short and sweet. It's Michael Rabel. Uh, he played one game. He gave up four goals and got yanked. Uh, we know, obviously, he could play so much better than he did in this mm-hmm. one. Uh, his first off game in his college career. And there's not much more to it. Uh, pretty pretty well-deserved good try, I think. And obviously, we expect him to be a lot better in the future. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not going to harp on his performance here with, with what I'm saying. But the only thing that I will say is if we look back to the interview with Carvey, the number one thing that Carvey said about Rabel, he's a very level-headed individual. He doesn't like goals against get to him. He's going to come out stronger at the end of it. I think that's what's going to happen with him going forward. You know, he's he's clearly a very, you know, a very good professional. He doesn't, you know, get down to the dumps and say, oh, no, I played bad this game. I'm going to let that affect me. Over. He doesn't do that type of crap. You know what I mean? He's a very level-headed person. He's going to come out on the other end of this, you know, stronger, you know, and he's going to play better going forward. So, I'm I'm not worried in the slightest. The kid's an 18 year old freshman. He's going to be better going forward. This is the blip on the radar. Let's move on. Yep, and we're going to need him if we're going to want to uh, play well against Providence next week. For sure. All right, let's uh, let's move on to our customs. What are you giving out for your custom award this week? All right, so this one, oddly enough, actually, I'm half heartedly attributing to uh, Michael Harabel here. So I was I was perusing Instagram uh, a couple days ago and. I think Lucas Mercury, who I'm, spoiler alert, giving this award to, uh, he posted a thing on Instagram, and Michael Rabel posted the Egyptian magician under under his uh, under his post. And uh, I'm going to call this the Egyptian magician award. I'm not sure, you know, I'm assuming, you know, Mercury has some sort of Egyptian heritage in his family. But, uh, yeah, he was playing certainly like, an, like, a, like a magician this weekend. I mean, absolute beautiful goal. From the, from the low slot, just tucking it five hole from a great Scotty Morrow pass. He was playing very, very well. I'm actually checking right now. I want to see his face-off stats to see if he uh, – I got him was, right here. Let's, let's let's check it out. What do, what, what do we got, Cam? Help me out here. Uh, Nine and five in game one and ten and ten in game two. Not bad at all, man. I mean, absolutely, you know, again, just from a – you know, just from an overall perspective, he's just been looking very, very solid, you know, and absolutely love to see that out of the guy. You know what I mean? Like being essentially above, above, you know, 50% in the, in the faceoff dot contributing a goal. And I'm pretty sure a key assist on the Lautenbach goal as well. is absolutely great. The Egyptian magician award. He played a very, very good weekend overall. That's why Carvey was given you know, he basically called it the Mercury line, you know, when he was talking about the the first uh, the first game overall highlights, if you will. So I, I feel like it was very well deserved. And he I feel like this was a good opportunity to talk about not just for the series, but I feel like he's been very, very good overall, you know, just this whole season. So hats off to Lucas Mercury for the Egyptian Magician Award. Yeah, we've uh, we've talked about him a lot lately. He's just had a, a phenomenal step up year this year. Honestly, looking a little bit like if you were to give Bobby Trevino one of those uh, size up mushrooms in Mario. He's playing that type of game right now, just yeah. from a way bigger body. Uh, Seriously, and, yeah, he's he's been a, a really fun watch, and I'm 
uh, excited to see his game takes this take this jump this year. For sure, man. I, I I was not thinking about that originally, but now that you mentioned that, I feel like that is a very very apt comparison. So I'll give you credit on that one, Cam. That's a very good uh, observation for you there. Thank you, thank you. Um, another good observation here: uh, Danzel Schmelis, nine for ten in the faceoff dot in game two. Uh, that's that's gonna get looked over for sure. So good, good performance. Hell there. yeah! Uh, my custom award, I'm giving out the silencer award. You you talked about it a good amount earlier in this episode. It's going to Cole Brady. A lot of people talking trash online, um, saying that he should not be playing games, saying that Harabel should be starting every single game. Um, I think a lot of people aren't realizing that we're going to need Cole Brady, at least for a part of the season while Harabel is out for World Juniors. And he looked he looked good. Like you, you can't say he didn't look good in both of these games. Looked very solid. I think, I'm not sure what his ceiling is as a goaltender, but he is absolutely a serviceable backup goalie at the college level. And he played well. Silence the haters, giving him the silencer award. Dude, I I mean, th- I might be going on a little bit of a tangent here, but it really makes me upset hearing the, the slander that people give to Cole Brady. Do people not realize that last season he had one of the strongest starts out of basically any UMass Tendy? He had like a 940 save percentage through like his first like five or six games, I'm pretty sure. And that was a team that was giving up a lot of shots every yeah. game. He was absolutely electric. Granted, Pavisic was too. Like, I, if people don't remember last season, at the beginning of the season, we had two tendies that were rocking like a 940 save percentage each. Like, Bull Brady was playing absolutely out of his mind. And people just think like, oh, like, you know, we got to remember, he was our freaking starting goaltender in the Hockey East playoffs. Like, he was starting over Pavisic. Like, he was the guy. Granted, Pavisic moved on. There was probably some internal stuff going on. I don't know exactly the specifics of it, but Cole Brady was clearly the trusted goaltender on the coaching staff, and clearly for good reason. You know what I mean? Like, he deserved it wholeheartedly. The only reason why, you know, like, he wasn't really getting much time this season was because Rabble had such a hot start. Like, that's that's not to disparage Cole Brady. That's because Rabble was filthy. Like, that has that, there's nothing bad about Cole Brady there. He had a very, very solid start. He had he literally started the first game of the season, right? Like he played against AIC, you know, gave up three goals, but that was on like what 37 shots. And he saved some very, very high quality chances against AIC. So I'm not gonna say that he single-handedly won us the game because I think we had like five or six goals in that game, regardless. But he kept us in that, you know, he was playing very well. Dude got lit up by a at the time, what was it top five in the nation? You know, Michigan team number six. It, it was number six in the season, like, yeah. or in in the in the you know you know what I mean, and absolutely got lit up, right? But that was because the rest of the team in front of him wasn't playing well either. You know what I mean? Like I don't think anybody was playing well in that game. He was trying his darndest. You know, I don't even think that a lot of those goals against were inherently bad goals. You know, maybe the, I'd say a couple, maybe two out of the seven that I think he let in, like. You're still letting in, you know, five good quality chances. You can't pin that on the goalie. You know what I mean? So I I really do think that, you know, the Cole Brady slander needs to relax a little bit. Like I've heard people say, you know, across the Twitter sphere that he doesn't even deserve to sniff the ice. Like maybe that's just a little bit of like crazy, like Michael Frabble revisionist history. I don't know. Maybe they're just getting a little bit, you know, too crazy, but. You gotta calm that down, man. Like that's that's absolutely insane. Put some respect on Cole Brady's name. 
He came here for a reason. He's able to play. He's a really, really solid Tandy. You got to give him some respect. So I really like the fact that you were able to kind of highlight him, you know, here, Cameron. So, yeah, really, really deserved for sure. Yeah, and you you said it. I think people kind of slept on what UMass had for goalies last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke Pavisic finished the year with a 920 save percentage. Uh, Cole Brady finished with a 907. Uh, it was just a team that gave up a lot of really high high chance opportunities. Um, and Cole Brady, I think, kind of got a bad rap given everything yeah. there. I still I still think that Harabel should be the starting goaltender. Oh but yeah, I have yeah, yeah. Absolutely no issues with Cole Brady being the backup, and he he played really well this weekend. So yeah, yeah, that's the that's the key here. Thank you for clarifying. Like, don't get me wrong, man. Like Harabel is him, right? He had one blip. Let's not forget the amount of time that he saved our asses so far this season. He's been playing very, very well. But you got to have a good – like, UMass fans of all of all people should know. You need to have a solid one-two goalie tandem. We've seen that with Murray and Travel. We've seen that with even, like, Murray and, dare I say, Ryan Wishow in our first season. Like, Wishow was decent. You know, he had, a, he had a couple of decent stretches throughout, you know, I think it was his sophomore season back in, like, what, 2017 – but I'm saying this mainly for the 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 Lindbergh and, and Murray folks here. You know, you have to have two solid tendies because you never know. Maybe there's a COVID scare in the national tournament and you have to have, you know, Murray come up. And, you know, when 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 Lindbergh is out with a COVID scare, anything can happen when it comes to college hockey. Some, you know, who knows? I'm not trying to speak into existence, but Rabble could get injured. You know, anything can happen. You gotta have somebody else who is reliable to lean upon. I genuinely think that Cole Brady is that guy and nobody else seems to think so. It gets me upset. Like, I'm not trying to like pull this crazy, like Stephen A. Smith, like I tried to tell y'all type thing. Like, you know, I believe this before this, this series, I really do think that people were being unnecessarily, I don't want to say like, you know, having a bunch of malice towards him, but nobody believed in him. And it, it, it kind of hurts because he transferred here. You know, he had a clear path, to, you know, getting some playing time, you know, the coaching staff clearly liked him. They wouldn't have taken him on if they didn't. So I, I really do think that uh, people need to put a little bit more respect on his name because he's clearly earned it, you know, over the course of this past, you know, season and a quarter, if you will. I, I, I like his game a lot. Yeah, uh, me too. And I, I was happy with how he played this weekend. Is there anything else from these two games that you wanted to talk about before we jump into next weekend? No, I feel like that three-minute tangent that I just went on definitely summed up my opinions on Cole Brady for sure. So yeah, let's let, let's get into the Providence, uh, the Providence series, eh? Yes. So a massive undertaking coming up this weekend for UMass, playing who I believe this last week was number five in the country. Providence, they're eight, one, and two right now, having an absolutely phenomenal season. Uh, they they played really well against us last year when historically the last five or six years UMass had played Providence pretty well. Last year they dominated us. Um, and this is why I'm not rushing to make any um, like opinions yet on, on what kind of team we have right now because uh, I think – I don't know if we predicted it in our schedule preview, getting swept by a team like this. We did against like a, a BU and a Michigan – Providence is right up where up there with the likes of these guys yeah. right now. They have wins against Michigan. They have wins against number two Denver. Um, they have a win against North, uh, New Hampshire, who's been good this year. 
two wins against Northeastern. Um, they beat Vermont and then tied with Vermont. That that tie with Vermont was kind of their one like iffy outcome, but they've really gotten the job done this season. And they're a, they're a scary opponent coming up. The road game on Thursday and the home game on Saturday. Yeah, so it's actually funny. So I, I on my computer right now as we're recording this, I have my uh, my predictions pulled up. So just to kind of give everybody a bit of context, I did actually kind of have us where we're at right now in the season uh, on my on my season preview. I had a win against AIC, two losses against Michigan. We actually ended up winning one of those. I had us winning both games against Michigan State or Michigan State, Minnesota State. Mm-hmm. I we ended up I think getting a tie against BU, right? So yeah, like so, but I had them losing both of those games, and then I had us winning Northeastern and then winning both Vermont games. So realistically, I had us about where we're at right now in the season preview. So I'm gonna pat myself on the back a little bit there. In my in the season preview, I have us taking a loss and a win against Providence. I don't know about this. <laughs> like I don't I don't want to be a doomer. I don't want to be like all sad thinking like, oh, I don't think we have this in our locker, right? But I'll be honest, if we take a point or two against Providence this weekend, this coming weekend, I'd consider that a win at this point. I'll be honest. Like Providence is where they're at right now for a reason. They're a damn good team. And we're gonna talk about the you know specifics of that for sure. Like their goaltending, really damn good. They know how to score. They're a very complete team right now, for sure. I can't necessarily say that about our team so far. You know what I mean? Like with 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 you know Rabble's recent kind of blips, I can't say that we have the same level of goaltending as Providence right now. When we look at our guys, you know, just from an overall scoring perspective, I don't think we're able to match up with them, you know, skater for skater. The, the team's damn good and they're ranked highly for a reason. I don't know where we're going to end up, you know, over the course of the weekend, but Providence is a damn good team, and I'm a little bit worried, admittedly. So we'll yeah, see. And one thing that was kind of a breakdown in this last series against Vermont was the penalty kill, uh, and that's a team that is almost historically bad in the power play to start this season. Providence is pretty good. Uh, they're about 22% on their power play conversions. They win a lot of face-offs. They're uh, over 51% on their face-offs this season, so – a good team in in all aspects. You said you said goaltending was good. Their guy Phillips fed back. We saw him last yep. year. He played pretty well. He he's given up less than two goals per game with a nine twenty three save percentage. So uh, kind of hard to beat that. And it looks like kind of an even spread for their goals. Uh, a lot of guys scoring goals. Um, they have a bunch with five and a bunch with four. So this is going to be a tall task this weekend. We'll we'll see how it goes, but. Uh, I'm I'm not gonna jump to any conclusions if if things go south here for us. Yeah, I mean, all right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put you gun to your head right now. What do you think we we do this weekend? I think that road game is gonna be incredibly hard to even get a point, um, especially having been there and seen what happened last year yep. in that building. Uh, I think anything's possible back on the bigger ice at Mullins. If gun to my head, we lose on Thursday. And we keep it competitive on Saturday, but I'm not committing to any outcome on Saturday. We'll see how Fair it goes. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's that's roughly how I feel. I'd say realistically, a two to three point weekend is, you know, happy, happy days happy for us. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, realistically, Phillips fed back, filthy. Bruins draft pick. 
you know, 1.74 goals against average, 9.23 save percentage. Those those are high level numbers right there. I'm not going to go as far to say elite. They're not Devin Levi numbers. This kid's pretty filthy though. You know what I mean? They're playing very very good team defense. I'm going to ask you maybe to verify this because I don't have it pulled up right now. They played against Northeastern, right? Uh, last week or this 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 past weekend. What did they have? Like they they limited Northeastern, I think, to six even strength shots the whole game or something like that. I believe it was two shots through the first two periods of that's freaking ridiculous, man. Like they are a stifling defensive team. And that's not to say that they're not a good offensive team either. Like Yaroslav, Shemelard, Shemelar, Shemelar, whatever the hell. He's he's Czech. I don't know how to say his last name. Whatever. Point per game. You know what I mean? Eleven games played eleven goals or eleven points. Tanner Adams, 11 games played, 11 points. Chase Yoder, he's a, uh, I think, a Pittsburgh draft pick. 11, 11 games played, 9 points. I, if, you, if you go through their entire lineup, once you get to their 20th and 22nd player in terms of, like, points and stuff like that, that's the first time that you start to see a minus in the plus-minus category. Like, their team is just an entire plus on the whole. I'm pretty sure they're top of hockey East right now. I'm not double checking that right yep, now, yeah. but they're 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 the team to beat right now. And to be fair, not really what anybody expected. You know, people were expecting the BUs, the BCs, maybe even a Merrimack or a UConn to to, to you know to hop in there. Providence has been the team so far, and like I said, that's kind of what's worrying me a little bit. You know, the only thing that I feel like kind of plays in our favor, I'm seeing Craig Needham. I'm seeing Cal Keefuke of all people, notable UMass transfer, uh, Guillaume Richard and Hudson Malinowski, seeming like they all have major penalties under their belt. They all have over uh, 17 uh, penalty minutes, which makes me, you know, believe that they have. I'm assuming a major penalty plus a game misconduct under their belt. Just kind of, you know, seems like that based off the elite prospects. I have no way to verify that, but it seems like they tend to take major penalties a little bit. They might be a little bit aggressive, a little bit penalty prone, hoping, you know, I'm not hoping that they do that against our players because clearly that's going to freaking hurt them. But maybe if we can get some sort of five minute major under our belt, we can try and make them pay on the, on the power play side. So we'll see how that goes, but I'm hoping that that ends up being the case. Yeah. And one thing UMass, hasn't played a ton of defensively minded teams this year. They've played yeah. a lot of good opponents for sure. Michigan, mm-hmm. um, not known for their defense. BU, certainly not known for their defense. Kind of offensive stalwarts, those teams. For so sure. um, Providence is only giving up 22 point, two, 22 and a half shots per game, uh, allowing less than two goals per game. And they've played some really good teams so far this season. Obviously, I went through them like Michigan, Denver, New Hampshire, the likes of those teams. So uh, to play, to have that good of a schedule in terms of opponents and to limit limit the damage like they have, it's phenomenal. They're only giving up uh, goals on the power play 11% of the time. So really solid team. There's not many holes in their games. And with the UMass offensive inconsistencies that I had talked about a little earlier in this episode, it's got, it's got me nervous. I'll say that. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, considering the fact that we were just kind of harping on UMass's ability to break down Vermont's defense when they decide to kind of, you know, hurdle a little bit and kind of play a very defensive style, if we're going up against a team that's probably twice as good at doing that, 
it doesn't bode well for us offensively. I feel like we're going to have to get some fortunate bounces our way. We're going to have to really be on our game when it comes to passing and making very quick plays and making the right play and the smart play. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to sound like a doomer. You know what I mean? I don't want to be like, oh, no, we might not be able to have that. Because then if we do end up doing that, I'm going to look like a freaking idiot. I don't want to look like an idiot. So, I mean, I'm going to not, you know, make any sort of rash overall, you know, predictions when it comes to how we're going to play. But as it stands on paper right now, a little scared. But I do think I believe in this team. I think, you know, we were thinking the exact same thing about Michigan. We were able to come back against Michigan in that second game, and we absolutely dominated them 6-2. Anything is possible. That's the beauty of college hockey. I'm not going to make any sort of bold predictions. Anything's possible. I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah, and we'll see how it goes. Remember, the first game of the series is on Thursday night, not Friday night. Um, And then the second game at 4 o'clock instead of 7 o'clock on Saturday. That's a weird one. Yeah, a little bit of a weird schedule. We'll be at both games, uh, as always. So. Uh, you're there. Keep an eye out for us. Let's move on to the Hockey East scoreboard from this weekend before we Check wrap things up here. So a uh, bunch of games on the schedule. Merrimack and UConn played a home-and-home, and the road team won both games. BC played up in Maine for two games. That was really the series of the weekend. Maine won 4-2 to two in game one uh, in front of an absolutely rocking crowd, per usual, when, they, when that team is good up in Maine. And then uh, second game was a tie. BU BC won in the shootout three to two. The other matchups, Providence swept Northeastern. They got five points because one of them was in overtime. But uh Northeastern really starting to slide here at this point in the season. And BU swept Lowell. Lowell having a, a bit of a tough go at the start of the season. They lose both of these to, to BU. So not a ton of surprises. Obviously, that Maine and BC series is a massive one. BC ranked number one in the nation. And Maine, uh, I believe they were number one in the pairwise going into this game. So really solid series there. I think that was my one standout from this weekend. Yeah, I feel like I read something on Twitter. I forget who it was by, so I I apologize if I'm not crediting you appropriately. But I want to say we have like six teams in the top like 11 right now in terms of pairwise. Like Hockey East is absolutely dominant right now. Like absolutely killing it. Um. And that that main that main game right there against BC, I feel like is a perfect kind of summary of of how hockey East has been right now. Maine been a sneaky, really, really good team. I wouldn't even say sneaky. I feel like they're kind of, you know, they're known as a very, very solid team so far this season. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna call it right now. Uh Den Barr's winning hockey East coach of the year. Like I You think so? That I think I, for sure. I don't blame you with the way that he's kind of been able to transform this main team from I don't want to say a bottom dweller, right? Like, because I don't think that's fair to them, mm-hmm. but I would say a lower half hockey East team to a team that, in my opinion, and probably your opinion, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm going to assume your opinion can beat any team on any given night. For sure. You know, th- they have been absolutely filthy so far this season. The fact that they've been able to do that against the, you know, I don't want to say consensus because I don't think that's true, but, you know, borderline best team in hockey East right now. Like, I feel like it was kind of between them and BU. You know, the fact that they were able to pull off one a win and then to take them to overtime in the following game is just nuts. You know what I mean? I feel like that is very, very good for them. That, again, I feel like it's just a a summary of how good Hockey East is right now. You know, we lost to Vermont. You have teams like Maine beating BC. 
anything is freaking possible right now. I feel like that the hockey East race is wide open. And I feel like you can't say that in basically any other season, at least for the past, what, five or six years. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is the beauty of hockey East right now is that I genuinely don't think for the rest of the season, I'm going to have a comfortable game sitting in the stands. I mean, you know me, Cam, I'm never comfortable anyway, right? <laughs> you see me, I'm a freaking nervous wreck every game thinking that, right. you know, I don't know what's going to happen anyway, but even just more so, I mean, even for just, you know, I don't want to say casuals, but just like anybody else that's watching the games that maybe not might not be into it as much as I am. They're going to be shaking in their boots basically every game because nobody knows what the hell is going to happen when, when there's a UMass game, especially against a Hockey East opponent, because anything can happen right now. And I, I partially love to see it, but I also partially hate to see it because it just never makes for a comfortable watching experience for me, for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of parody, which is good for the league as a whole. Uh, no, no gimme wins on the schedule this year. Um, you thought Vermont might be, but no, they, they take a game. They played really hard in game two. So, uh, yeah, hockey East, it's going to be real tough this year. I think that tournament's going to be fun come March too. So, uh, it makes, it makes for absolutely good watch. It makes me want to watch some games. Like I think Friday night, I might be watching some hockey East games. We got the off day. So I don't blame you, bro. Maybe I'll hit that up. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we end this episode? I, th- I think I'm all set, man. I'll be honest. I feel like we had a extremely long and uh, content-filled episode tonight. So I think we should probably wrap it up with uh, with due haste, as they say. Yeah, so uh, we, w- we won't keep you guys any longer. Thank you once again if you, if you listened all the way through. Go UMass. Let's get wins against number five this weekend. Go UMass. Take care, everybody. And honestly, let's just do our best against Providence. I mean, I'm not going to hold any crazy expectations, but let's let's try and get a win. All right, I feel like that'd be good.